I'll share from Psalm 120. As a congregation throughout this Lenten season, Oak has been working through some of these ascent psalms, the psalms that um, Israel would sing in their pilgrimage and journey to Jerusalem. Psalm 120. I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble, and he answered me. Lord, deliver me from lying lips and a dishonest tongue. What more will be given to you? What more will be done to you, you dishonest tongue? Just this. A warrior sharpened arrows coupled with burning coals from a wood fire. Oh, I am doomed because I have been an immigrant in Meshech, because I've made my home among Cater's tents. I've lived too far and far too long with people who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is God's word for God's people. It's difficult to look around these days and find peace. It's easy to find things like cancer or war, bloody conflict in places like Ukraine or Myanmar. Um, it's easy to see unpeace around things like COVID and polarization and politicization of literally everything. It's easy to see the unpeace of rises and revelation of racism and white Christian nationalism. It's easy to see unpeace even in this neighborhood. Just steps from here with gun violence that took lives just in this last week. It's maybe more difficult to look inside of our own hearts and find peace or wholeness, what the Bible calls shalom, a inherent rightness of the world. Most of us are stuck somewhere in this peace, fatigue and sorrow and confusion and fear and animosity and just the acceleration of everything that's going on around us. We just never know when we wake up each morning what the news is going to be. What this sin-ravaged world is going to serve up to us. The ways our lives are going to be forever changed. The ways sin continues to break us down. Break us apart. Sometimes we'll sing here in a moment. It causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble at how overwhelming all of the sin and death and unpeace is. The poet uh, James Weldon Johnson, his crucifixion ends with the Oh, I tremble, yes, I tremble. It causes me to tremble, tremble when I think of how Jesus died died on the steps of Calvary, how Jesus died for sinners, sinners like you and me. To say that Jesus died on the steps of Calvary for sinners like you and me can never just be like a phrase or an abstraction for us. We can't encase it in amber and put it on the shelf. The cross can't just be something nice that looks uh, silver around our neck. We have to see this cross, we have to see this 
see the salvation of God in our world, in our lives. So I wonder what Jesus, his friends thought they were waking up to on that Friday. I'm sure they probably had their antennae up the way we do around special holidays. Uh, maybe it was just the excitement from the previous week's palm entry that had their adrenaline going. Maybe it was the Passover feast, their friend that had been taken from them. Little could they have known that they were being conscripted into an event of the dramatic death of death. They would be involved in this drama that we're enacting tonight in these stations of the cross. That Thursday, they knew they were celebrating Passover. They knew that they'd be eating lamb and bitter herbs, that they'd eat fast with their shoes on because they had to be on the move with the liberating God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they could not have known where Friday was going to take them. They couldn't have foreseen the trauma of watching their friend, their teacher, their their Messiah, strung up like a spectacle, made a fool. Jesus silenced and made unrecognizable. I doubt they had any frame of reference that Jesus would actually become their Passover lamb. That Jesus would be the site and the source of their liberation. That they would become free from sin in death, that they would have a, a way made out of no way towards peace through the cross. Jesus dying for sinners means both dying for the sins that we do and also for the sins that we're caught in in this sin-soaked world, the sin that traps us, that enslaves us, the sin that is done on to us that we didn't choose for ourselves. So when we sing songs against injustice and pain, all this stuff isn't out there. It's, it's right here. When we push against darkness of systems and powers and principalities, we are in some sense pushing against ourselves. We need an exorcism as much as we need protection. We need surgery before we need healing. Sin is like this original pandemic, but it has become endemic. It's become invisible, and it kills us. G.K. Chesterton once mused that original sin is the only, like, uh, of all the theology words about God and creation and salvation, original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine. <laughs> we know it too well. But friends, don't think that I've gathered you as this captive Good Friday audience to convince you how bad you are. Most of us know, <laughs> talk to our roommates and spouses and kids. Most of us readily admit our weaknesses or our limits, the ways our bodies are breaking down, the ways we fall short, what we have done and the things that we have left undone. Psalm 120, uh, journeying song for God's people, psalmist lays bare. Woe to me, I've been living in places of comfort and denial and decadence, places designed to not need God or at least not rely on God. 
where it gets tricky is the psalmist keeps saying, they are people who hate peace. But somehow their unwholesomeness has begun to affect us, has begun to affect me. We're fragmented also. We're fractured. It's out of those places that the psalmist sojourns, comes back to God and says, save me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. The cross responds, there is no them, there's just kind of only us. <laughs> We're all in this together. Their sin is our sin, is my sin, it's all sin. But Jesus took all of this sin on his body. Jesus received the very worst. The end of a journey where sin's consequences were always headed anyways, the place where all this was designed, what it all was designed for. The cross is a place of silence and violence and erasure and shame and injustice and ultimately death. God's world was never designed to work this way. Creation was always meant to be the home of God with God's people. That, that, that was the design. Humanity was meant to be God's partner, God's mirror image, God's deepest love. But sin warps and destroys and corrupts the world. After that first sin is a world of broken trust and built idols and coercion and hiding and shame and being alienated even from ourselves, let alone each other. We're, we're, we're just constantly seeking after counterfeit forms of what we think is life. That was never part of the design. It shouldn't be a surprise, though, then, that sin leads to death. That's what all this damage was designed to do. Sin, this enslaving, exponential, and ever-mutating sin, the sin of the world in general, the sin of me and you and each of us in particular, is great, friends. It is so big. It, is, it reaches into every cracking crevice. Bleak, dark thought, cloud, or overshadow just how great God's grace is. Romans 5 says where, where sin is great, God's grace swamps and eclipses it. It's exactly this great grace that was embodied by our Savior, Jesus, on the cross. Believe it or not. It is a grace which absorbs all of the sin and alienation and misunderstanding and violence of the world and takes it out of circulation, doesn't return fire, it disarms it, it makes all of that stuff a spectacle by Jesus becoming a spectacle. Sin and death are rendered unsuccessful ultimately. They are fake, they are obsolete. God's saving grace is the most real reality now. You've heard it said, we can always count on death and taxes, and I know tax day is Monday. <laughs> oh, Lord. But God's saving love is realer than that. 
and can be counted on infinitely more than any of those things that we take for granted. So on this Good Friday, Jesus, my lamb-like Jesus, Weldon says, went among those who hate peace, folks not different from us. We have to remember that. Paul reminds us, once we were without hope, once we were without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, eliminating our alienation. He destroyed the barrier. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility and created one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. Not just bringing us back to ourselves and each other, but bringing us back together to God through the cross. Now there's no room for hostility. There's no space for sin to operate there. He came and he preached peace to you who were far and peace to you who are near. <laughs> now, we're all just measured in our proximity to the cross. For all the ways that we see and feel and participate in unpeace, the good news on this Good Friday is that Christ has come among us, people who hate peace, and on the cross, he's become our peace. The cross is God's way of making peace. No more, no less, nothing that you can build up to or graduate past, just and only Christ in Christ crucified. So friends, come near this cross-killed Jesus, make your life in its shape, the shape of the cross. Be crucified with Christ, so much so that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. Be remade by Christ's saving love and grace. Make your life in this kingdom of the Prince of Peace. Will you all pray with me? Lord, remind us, remind us of the ways that we we hate peace, <laughs> or we, we at least hate the ways that you go about making peace. We want to do it through force or speed or whatever our own preference is, but you've chosen to make peace in this world by dying on a cross. Lord, he was close <laughs> to that cross. Draw us to your side and make us people of the cross that, that bear witness um, to your death and resurrection, to your life in this world. I pray all this in the name of the crucified Jesus. Amen.